This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 714 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one, and my name is Matt Baum. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, but when I'm sharing a body with this knucklehead next to me, I'm your head number two in this episode. We're reviewing new comics from the last two New Comic Wednesdays. After that, we'll set you up with our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, you're going to get a sampling of our Patreon Extra when you support THN for as little as $1 a month, which some shithead got all mad about the review a while ago that I found. A dollar. Seriously. You get access to segments like this week's Comic Pushers, where we're helping one relapsing comic junkie fill in some holes in their X-Men collection. So strap on your Cerebro helmets and oil up your gold hover chair, because it all starts now with review time in the Cigarette. As we tend to do, we'll begin by discussing six comics from last week and then jump to six from this week. If you're doing the math right, that makes two new Comic Book Wednesdays. Each comic we discuss gets to forever carry the shame of our buy it, skim it, or leave it ratings, regardless of the fact that we are making this shit up as we go. And if you're just hearing that for the very first time, welcome to your first episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I hope you survive the experience. Huh? Yeah, really. <laughs> this time, our new comics pile features Thor putting on some old duds, the return of Canada's premier super narcs, some dark X-Mans, some even darker spaces, but it all starts with Cap's new group of Mutant Avengers. New Comic Book Day, August 16th. We begin with Uncanny Avengers number one. It's from Marvel. It is 36 pages. It costs $4.99. It's written by Jerry Duggan. You may have heard of him. He's been writing a lot of X stuff lately. With art and cover by Javier Garon and colors by Maury Hollowell. Letters by VC's Travis Lanham. You're going to see Travis gets a lot of play this week. It's a big week in general for VC. Uh, it really is. Here's your solicit. Well, there's this VC defector we'll talk about later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's your solicit. The fall of X calls for the return of the Avengers Unity Squad. Innocent people and world leaders are dead after simultaneous attacks on the U.S. and Krakoan governments. And that means one thing. It's time for a new squad of Avengers. False flag attacks meant to whip up anti-mutant hysteria are unfolding. And hey, some of Steve Rogers' best friends are mutants. Your new Unity Squad is Captain America, Steve, Rogue, Deadpool, Quicksilver, Psylocke, and Monet. <laughs> you know, it was going by another name in the book, but whatever. They must solve the mystery of the identity of the new murderous Captain Krakoa and stop his team of killers from igniting the fires of a new war. Plus... A bonus page written by Jonathan Hickman. Who are the gods? God, you guys. The mystery of who is Captain Krakoa deepens with this beautifully illustrated comic by Javier Garone, who has officially arrived. The guy is a superstar, and this comic looks amazing. Even when Garone is just drawing Ben Urich, 
staring out of his office window. The way that Ben Urich sort of glances over what happened in Krakoa, by the way, <laughs> is pretty smooth. It's just like, oh. It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah like he's like, recapping it for his readers. It is, but the way he, it's very gentle <laughs> the way he says it for his readers. Duggan resets the events of Fall of X for those who are just joining the action before he gets into some particularly bloody action with Quanon, who I guess goes by Psylocke these days, and Penance, who is referred to as Monet in the solicit. We were talking about that earlier. I'm not sure. Look, I mean, Cyclops doesn't go by Cyclops 24-7. I suppose, but he just goes by Scott. He doesn't have another code name, you know? Well, Monet's not his code name. Monet is her name. These are two characters who I admit I have no clue why they're going by these code names, but it's not important. There's a lot of good action here. I totally buy Captain Steve America would put together this team. It gives him something to do while he's not on the actual Avengers squad. And I like that Quicksilver isn't being a jerk for a change. Is this more mindless superhero team up? Uh, maybe, but it's well executed, and I'm actually interested in the Captain Krakoa mystery now. I'm giving this a buy it. I will say, it does seem a little irresponsible that Steve is doing this instead of hanging out with his Avenger squad, who is fighting this otherworldly team of godlike planet murderers. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> I mean, look, do you know what no group of badasses has ever said in the history of anything ever? I wish we had one more normal strength guy here. Well, yeah, but this, <laughs> this cap we're talking about, bro. Come I get on. it, but with that, the, I mean, the Avengers team already, the current Avengers team already has plenty of I get it. I get They got plenty of firepower uh, and they're going to be right. fine. They'll figure it out. I mean, firepower, nothing. They've already got like, Carol is a, is a military strategist. Like they've already got people that can fill a role. Right. But anyway, Quanon has been Psylocke for a long time. To answer your question, I thought the book was very good. Uh, I love the art. I think that this um, the reason for this unity squad makes a, a hell of a lot of sense. And I just uh, really like seeing Cap as this kind of uh, almost revolutionary kind of figure. Yeah. Because he's going against the popular opinion here. Yeah. And they even sold me on Dare- on Deadpool right away. I was like, OK, yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. it makes I sense. Liked, I liked the little bit about Deadpool, the little kind of recap of the earlier Uncanny Avengers uh Piece with Deadpool. I, I thought that was nice. But yeah, this is a buy it for me. I thought it was fantastic. Matt, you like Scott Snyder comics, right? You know, I prefer when he's presenting them. What if I told you there was a Scott Snyder comic with his name on the cover, but he didn't actually write it? Sounds like we got a Scott Snyder presents. <laughs> then you're in luck. It's time for Dark Spaces colon the Hollywood special number one from IDW. It's written by Jeremy Lambert with art by Claire Rowe, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Becca Carey. It's 36 pages for $3.99. We kid, of course. Oh, Scott Snyder is presenting this Right, yeah, yeah. We're going to get into it, but obviously we're joking. Here's your solicit. All aboard the Hollywood special, the 1942 luxury train touring the United States to support the war effort. On board is fading star Vivian Drake, doing her part to boost morale and finally give the tabloids something other than her nose-diving career and shambles of a family life to write about. But when the special pulls into the coal mining town of Minersville, PA, amid the collapse of a mine, Vivian finds herself facing every failure and bad memory she's bottled up in the form of what the miners found in the dark, the thing they call the Mismatch Man. Gross. Who 
on pain and regret. So, you know, we were joking earlier, I, but it's clear that neither one of us really understand what dark spaces is. Is it a shared universe? Is it just an umbrella of stories with like a horror bent? Does it even need to have a horror theme? It, it, it sounds like just kind of things curated by Scott Snyder. Just a thing which that he fun. wanted to present. <laughs> sure, sure. And that, I mean, and that's fine. Sure. Yeah, I, we've seen things like that before. It's just like we weren't familiar. Yeah, Avatar had a whole library of Frank Miller's whatever that he had nothing sure, to do with. Right. So. <laughs> I, I thought they were all written by Snyder, like ideas that Snyder came up with, but apparently not. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The Hollywood special number one focuses on tarnished relics from Hollywood's golden age. Stuck on a cross-country train tour selling war bonds, Lambert's script feels very much part of that era. You can imagine the narration playing over a film version of the story. Naturally, the stars don't shine as brightly in reality as they do on the screen, and we get some heartbreaking insight into Vivian Drake's life. Lambert only introduces the barest hint of the supernatural hook in this issue, but it offers the potential of some fun psychological horror in the issues to come. The art by Claire Rowe and Jordi Belair is great, reminding me of the ink-heavy work of Chris Somney, but it's harsher and more angular. Yeah, I Rowe, totally Rowe does an excellent job portraying the differences between the Hollywood facade and the reality of Vivian Drake and her traveling partner, actor Lou Gaines. The glamour that Vivian projects covers up a shabbiness and a sense of loss. Gaines is a shirtless, muscled adventurer in his movie poster, but he's an emaciated wisp of a man with ribs protruding from his thin frame in real life. Dark Spaces, the Hollywood special number one, sets up an interesting premise with compelling characters and excellent art. I'll be back for more. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I don't know Claire Rowe. I don't know where she came from. Her art is excellent. Excellent. This book looks I so I recognize the good. name, but I can't place it, so I'm going to Google it real quick. Do it. And like... Doesn't hurt that Jordi Belair is here either. The guy is a master when it comes to colors and like all the flashback stuff they do that's in the brown sepia tone. Oh, the black and white. Yeah, no, yeah. it's black and white. Or black and white. Both are just excellent. This is a great looking book. I'm with you. It's sort of presented strangely just in like, what is it? But I don't care. It's a good story. I'm going to read more. Really like this creative team. Giving it a buy it. I don't know what else to say. This was a lot of fun. Just kind of a weird package. Let's leave Snyder's Dark Spaces for Brighter Skies in Canada with Alpha Flight, number one. This is Alpha Flight, volume seven, if we're counting, number one. Whoa! Okay, great. <laughs> 32 pages, $3.99. It's written by Ed Brisson, covered by Leonard Kirk, with art by Scott Godlewski, colors by Matt Milla, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. Huh? Here's your solicit. Saving Canada from the mutant menace, eh? Guardian, Puck, Snowbird, and Shaman return as a terrestrial alpha flight bursts onto the scene. But what schism will put these heroes against their former teammates, Aurora and Northstar and Nemesis, huh? As well as Aurora's bow, Fang? The fall of X has changed the game, and Alpha Flight will soar to new heights or be crushed under the weight of an impossible mission. Oh, how's about that? The mutants are here to stay, and what's Alpha Flight going to do about it? Finally, Marvel listens to their fans and answers the question we've all been asking since Fall of X started. What is going on in Canada? Well, 
The only Canadian super team worth mentioning is back in action. Minus two of my favorite characters. Sad. Hold on. Is there another Canadian super team? Uh, maybe. Yeah, there's beta flight. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> come right. on. There's a mega flight too, but they were bad guys. I mean, derivatives don't count, do they? I don't know. I don't Maybe know. they did. Sasquatch, who I think is dead, and Doc Samson is currently Dr. Sasquatch. I don't remember quite how that happened, but... And Madison Jeffries, who's replaced by the original Box's kid. Also, we get a return of a character from Alpha Flight, Volume 3, 2004, but who cares, and does anyone remember Nemesis anyway? This comic looks good. Godlewski gets better every time I see his work, but Brisson's story reads like an extremely non-essential Fall of X tie-in that hopes old-school Alpha Flight fans won't miss some characters, and they're just happy the team is doing something. I saw the twist coming a mile away, and by the way, we did that in X-Factor Volume 1, guys. And did I miss why Dakin was calling himself Fang? No. Joe Patrick corrected me on this. He's not dressing like Sabretooth. There's a whole thing that took place in Steve Orlando's Marauder's book where he was gifted the outfit by... I mean, the answer is yes, you did miss it. <laughs> yeah, but I learned. And I was like, nah, I like Dokken better than Fang. Give me a break. Fang. I'm giving this a skim it. And seriously, who gives a shit about Nemesis? No one does. <laughs> I mean, nobody. Uh, I mean, to answer your question, yes, I remember Nemesis, but only because I have a mind like a still trap for that sort of dumb shit. Uh, I remember that volume of of Alpha Flight. Clayton Henry drew it. It's yep. terrible. It was bad. Uh, that It's where um, there was like a young version of Major Maple Leaf. Yeah. Was the leader, and he ended up being an, uh, an asshole or a villain or something. I, anyway, it's it was bad. Sell and nobody uh, cares. Why are we referencing it? You know? I don't like, know. I don't know. This comic is fine. It's fine. It's and fine. like you said, this is it's exactly the plot of the original issues of X Factor Volume 1 where they look, it's, it's not, not even, even a spoiler. It's not, it's not even a spoiler. They're pretending to be mutant hunters. Like Alpha Flight's really going to turn against the mutants. They're, That's just like it. The, their friends are they're team used to be full of mutants right and it, like if you go into this going oh i guess that's what they're doing now then you don't know shit about alpha flight or you're a moron uh, <laughs> now i do think i do think it's it's fair to say that you might consider it a twist that the mutant members of alpha flight north star aurora etc that the team fights in this issue are also in on it and they're all just putting on a show like they're play acting that's kind of fun so, like, they're putting on a show for the cameras, right? I, for Department for Department K or whatever, Department H. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. The art's fine. Scott Galuski, his art is up and down from project to project. He drew, um, I want to say, I don't remember which one. I want to say maybe it was the Superman Night Terrors. He did, he did one of the two-issue Night Terrors minis, and it's gorgeous. Best looking thing I've ever seen the guy draw. And then this was just kind of okay. You know, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. It's a skimming for me as well. I'm not sure you'd need to read it unless you're an Alpha Flight super fan. Nothing big is going to happen in this Fall of X, you know, tie-in mini where, oh shit, remember that time when Vindicator killed friggin' Wolverine in issue two? No. So the Sasquatch-Walter Langowski thing w was all tied to Immortal Hulk. Yeah. So um, Doc Samson got the Sasquatch body, and I think Walter Langowski just got a human body back. I don't know if he sur I don't remember if he survived or not. Something happened in the pages of that Gamma Flight mini uh, where that took place, where he turned was into it Doctor Gamma Flight? Yeah, Gamma yeah, Flight. Where he turned into Dr. Sasquatch or whatever. And I, I can't remember exactly, but 
It was forgettable. That's because nobody remembers it. Yeah, because it was completely forgettable. Who cares? Just bring me Sasquatch back. I want Langowski. Come on. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with Samson. I like Samson just the way he is. I don't need to mash the... Get your Sasquatch out of my dock, Samson. Okay? <laughs> Indicator. She didn't ask you out here, Wolverine. I did. Been a long time, little man. While we're on the subjects of comics that will have little to no impact on Fall of X... It's the cold number one from Image Comics. That is fair. <laughs> Prove me wrong, <laughs> Kelly Thompson. It's written by Kelly with art by Matia De Ulis. Letters by Hassan Otsmani El Hau. I'm I'm not stopping to apologize this time. We've already done it. Everybody knows I don't know how to say it. You may as well. Thirty-two just pages. Stop to apologize. <laughs> well, I'm just saying I'm not going to stop anymore. All right. It's thirty-two pages for three ninety-nine, and here is your solicit. Disney series premiere. Thanks, Image. <laughs> Eisner winning writer Kelly Thompson of Black Cloak and superstar artist Matia de Eulis of Captain America team up for their first creator-owned work together. Something is killing the children horror vibes mixed with the Goonies-style adventure as five friends set off to shoot a short film on a forbidden rock near their home the summer before they all go their separate ways. But that's not really why they're there. One of them has lied, and that lie will change their lives forever. Like the Hollywood special, Kelly Thompson only gives us a tiny tease of the actual sci-fi horror hook of the call, but this time it comes early in the issue in the form of a quick little snippet of what's being filmed. The rest of the pages are devoted to introducing the book's large cast of friends. The plot of the call is very familiar. It gives off Stranger Things vibes mixed with Paper Girls. Even some of the characters feel like they rolled off that same assembly line. There's the one with the missing brother, the one from the broken home, etc., etc. It's not bad at all, but it just felt like I'd seen it all before, which made an already slow-moving issue feel that much slower. Matia de Ulysses' art is hyper-realistic and dances right on the good edge of THN's Salvador La Roca to Greg Land scale. <laughs> the figure drawing and the color work is outstanding, and some of the environments are really breathtaking, but then the artist will apply textures to backgrounds that seem obviously photoshopped in, and it takes me right out. Yeah, it's the Olivetti it, effect, right? The Olivetti effect, yes. Yeah. That is not to say that it's poorly executed, because it's not, but it's not my cup of tea personally. You might like it, and that's your that's up to that's between you and God, baby. There isn't anything about the call number one that's bad on a technical level, but some aspects of the art and the too familiar story kept me from loving it as much as I thought that I would. I'm giving this a skim it for now, because right now there isn't really anything about it that I feel like I've haven't read already. Well, speaking as an atheist, I really like this art. I thought it was gorgeous. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't believe how That's good. That's between you and Galactus, buddy. <laughs> I can't believe how good some of this looks. I do agree. There's some definite digital affected backgrounds going on here. And the more that I look at it now, the more it stands out to me a little bit. It's not killing me, though. I don't think it's as blatant I think, as we've I seen I think it's it the, the thing past. is your mileage may vary. Yes, I agree. Like, there are times where it's the Olivetti effect, where it's so blatant that Cable is standing in front of a picture of the Empire State Building. You know, <laughs> like, I can't stand it. But, uh -huh, yeah, I don't think this is that bad. I do agree 
a little boilerplate with some of the characters. Like I want to like, I want to like them a lot more than I do because they were kind of predictable and you're right. They just sort of seemed like kind of generic. Here's the tropes we picked. Let's run with it. I don't think it's a bad comic. I think they've got a good setup nope. here. I'm also going to give this a skim it. It is a strong skim it because I believe yes. in Kelly. And I think when this is all said and done, it's going to be very good. She's building to something. I did need a little more from the first issue. Strong skim it though. I, I agree with you. I, I, I also think that when all is said and done, we're going to look back at, back at the call and, and say that on balance, it was a good read. Yeah. But Considering how slowly paced the first issue first issue is, I needed a little bit more that wasn't familiar to get me interested enough to come back. I don't disagree. The Chilling Adventures don't stop there, Joe. It's time for The Chilling Adventures presents Strange Science, number one from Archie. 32 Wait, pages. Is this, is The Chilling Adventures presents, is this also Scott Snyder? No. Scott Snyder's imprint at Archie is these the chilling adventures that he wants no, to no, present. No, 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 no. For those who weren't paying attention, this chilling adventures is actually a spinoff of the 1989 miniseries Dilton's Strange Science, which lasted for exactly four issues. So we're really celebrating something here. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> to call it a spinoff might be overstating it a bit. This is from Archie. It's 32 pages. It's $3.99. It's written by Magdalene Visaggio with cover and art by Butch Mappa, colors by Ellie Wright, letters by Jack Morielli. Here's your solicit. Danny Malloy is Jinx Holiday's best friend. You know, Jinx Holiday. We read about her all the time. We know all about her, right? And I'm holding my tongue till the end. <laughs> and where one goes, the other is sure to follow, even if that means through hell and back and forth through the depths of space and time when Danny receives a mysterious message from former friend Dilton Doily. Danny is horrified to learn Dilton's last name is Doily. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, Dil Dilton, Dilton Doily. <laughs> okay. Danny is horrified to learn that he's built a time machine and it's gone terribly wrong. And now the whoa, 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 whoa. What? Is this the solicit? Yes. All right. Sorry. And now the three of them have been transported to a warped version of Riverdale, where nothing seems quite right. It's up to Danny to set things right and bring them back to the present day and the hometown they know and love. And she might have to explain a thing or two to Jinx about what's going on. Two! Exclamation point. Strange Science explores Danny's personal history, time travel, and the importance of being true to yourself and what matters most to you. Archie gets its first trans character with Danny Malloy, who first appeared as Daniel Malloy in the short-lived Dilton's Strange Science series from 1989. Now, if you are not an avid Archie reader like me, there is no way that you would know that Jinx has been a character for a while now with some kind of magic demon powers. And while the script isn't bad here, it does expect you to know some things about the character without the aid of editor's notes. Also, there is some confusing aspects of like, are we time traveling? Have we warped reality? All I know is there's a time machine 
I guess Dilton made it, and they I go think that's, somewhere. That's the point is that they don't know it. They thought they they think they time travel, but really they didn't. I, I, I think yes. the confusion is baked into the story. Yes, Mappa's art is solid. It fits with Archie's horror house style. There were a couple of points in the action though where I didn't quite understand what was happening, and it really takes away from the message of Asagio's story of Danning finding acceptance after her transition. Now, there's a well-thought-out story in here somewhere. It just gets lost in this one-shot format. It's still fun, albeit a little confusing for those of us not following Archer, Archie horror continuity, and there isn't a lot of hand-holding here to let you know what's actually going on. I'm giving it a skim it. Like, there was a part where I almost thought they were doing something brave, Where and I'm not spoiling anything by letting you know that Danny transitioned. That's they've been talking about it, you know, for a while now. It's literally the, yeah, it's, it's one of the selling points of the conference. And I'm also not like saying I wanted to see Dilton be a bigot or anything, but there is a moment where Dilton's like, you turned, you know, and you, and you changed and everything. And she was like, Dilton, I was like, oh, wow, they're going to go here and we're going to like see this. And they was like, no, it's not that you ran away from science. Like, Oh, oh, but that was, but that's, oh. but that was good. That was a good moment because she thought that he was. No, I get that, but at the same time, we're trying to see her accept herself and deal with demons in her past and stuff. Like that would have been a great way to lead into that. You know, and Dilton can learn his lessons still or whatever. There was just so many disparate aspects of it that it's like I see what they were trying to do. I just don't think it was really well executed. I'm giving this skim it. All right. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on that on the Dilton thing. I, I think that they didn't need to add on Dilton being a bigot. I think that I'm not saying they did. I thought for a minute, that's I, what they were doing. Right. But I'm saying them, them not going th- in that direction is not a negative. I think that sure. it's, I think I liked the way that that played out that he's mad at her, not because she transitioned. She's he's mad at her because she decided to go away from science and embrace the arts. But uh, so Yes, this is a skimmit for me. I think it was a little bit more successful than you do. Uh, but I agree that for an issue labeled number one, it's obviously it's a one shot. Um, they don't explain anything. Nope. At all about anybody. Nope. At all. There's like, Jinx, I've like, got demon powers. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah, right. What do you? <laughs> what? <laughs> right. All right. Um, so a little bit of a little bit of history, like obviously these Chilling Adventures uh, dates it goes back to the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, blah blah blah. So the whole Archie afterlife with Archie, the whole Archie horror verse is its own little thing. Um, Jinx Holiday is based on a character created in the um, late forties called Lil Jinx, and it was published by Archie, but she was basically like like a Dennis the Menace but a girl. Right. Fast forward to the early aughts or pardon me, the early 2010s when Archie did that uh, kind of fast forward thing where Archie got married. They reintroduced Jinx as a teenager uh, and that's kind of how she came back. And then when the horror verse started, um, Jughead, the hunger versus Vampironica. Sure. Introduced as it as it does. Introduced an alternate version of Jinx where it is revealed that her father is Satan. Uh, she's got magical powers, yada, yada, yada. Just so like Hellboy. I actually, Just like Hellboy. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, essentially, this is an this is a horror verse version of a very, very old 
Archie character very obscure. I actually read a ton of Little Jinx comics as a kid because they reprinted them in those grocery store digests. Sad. And so when she showed up again, I was like, holy shit, that's Little Jinx. Fair enough. Uh, It's very weird to see her as like a um, shit-talking Satanist with demon powers. It's it's bizarre. But uh, I agree. I think that um, the the story about Danny finding acceptance is... Uh, a little bit more successful than than you think it was, than you thought it was. Um, but I do agree that there is a lot of stuff that probably would have made it a little bit easier to swallow if they had just maybe given us a recap page or anything. Even like the way that it's something. executed, where it's like oh, I'm being chased by this thing, and then she like literally has to explain to the reader exactly what's going on like there's no way you would go oh that's what that is (laughs) well i you know what i actually i actually i'll defend that moment as well because i actually thought i i I thought that i knew what it was and then i doubted myself thinking there's no way archie's gonna do that i thought it was archie i thought it was a zombie version of archie but yeah, and that's just it. It wasn't clear at all what the hell was going on. Well, I, but I only doubted it because I didn't think that Archie Comics would have the guts. But here we are. I mean, they. It's. I thought it was effective. It's a skimmer for me because I think the execution could have been better. But there was always there was a comic called Afterlife with Archie where he was a zombie. You know what I mean. Okay. I, t- <laughs> Look, you want me to spell it out? I mean, it's no, kind of spoiler proof. Yeah, we, we don't need to spoil it. Don't spoil it. I mean, whatever. It, it just is. The thing it, that she was being chased by, I didn't think Archie was going to have the guts to do that. And they did. Fair enough. Everything's Archie. Come on, let's go with the Archie show. If there's one thing you need to know about Joe Patrick, it's that I like my X-Men like I like my spaces. Dark. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dark X-Men number one from Marvel. It's written by Steve Fox with art by Jonas Scharf and Nelson Daniel. Colors are by Frank Martin. Letters are by VCs Clayton Cowles. 40 pages for $4.99. And here is the solicit. Welcome to the Dark X-Men. Hope the world survives the dark experience. It's dark. Dark. It was so dark. dark. So dark. Following the explosive events of the Hellfire Gala, Madeline Pryor realizes the world needs the X-Men now more than ever. Havoc and Gambit have served on the team before, but never one that looks like this. And how does Gimmick, breakout star of Marvel Voices Pride, fall under the Goblin Queen's sway? I have... I don't know. Find out in the most horrific installment of the X-Men saga yet. I think I do know, and I think it's the... Couldn't figure out anywhere else to put gimmick, so here you go. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I thought gimmick was already a character. You know what? We're gonna get into it. Your opinion of Dark X-Men will depend on your tolerance for the Goblin Queen and her limbo adjacent shenanigans. Like it or not, this nonsense is firmly entrenched in the X-Men's lore. There have been crossovers devoted to it, so we might as well get some use out of it, right? Steve Fox picks up Madeline Pryor's story following the events of Dark Web and the restoration of her broken memories, courtesy of Jean Grey, who, let me tell you, is having quite a week herself. Oh, yeah. Anti-mutant protesters are out in full force, even outside a flaming demon castle planted in the middle of New York City. You know what? If I was an anti-mutant protester, you know where I would not be protesting? Outside the Hell Mansion. But, you know, I guess I don't hate anything that bad. I love that Madeline Pryor and her consort, Alex Summers, a.k.a. Havoc, have basically opened 
Xavier's School for Gifted Weirdos at the Limbo Embassy. And Azazel notwithstanding, I also really love that this team is basically a cast of nobodies, plus Gambit and Archangel. Though I want to know why Maggot didn't merit a spot on the cover, damn it. He's in the book. Why isn't he on the cover? Fox uses some forgotten characters from the short-lived Children of the Atom series as a catalyst for bringing the team together, and it works for me. Uh, Children of the Atom is where I thought gimmick came from, so it must have also starred in that one shot as well. Was in Children of the Atom, correct. Yep. The way our boy Albert is brought into the mix is really fun as well. The art by Jonas Scharf is dark indeed, well-suited to the tone of the series and its cast. Scharf handles the supernatural creepiness and the superhero action equally well. The art by Nelson Daniel in the backup story is a different matter. Mm-hmm. The, the story itself, which flashes back to the Limbo Embassy's first week of operation, is fine. But the artist makes a lot of weird choices and some of the facial expressions are laughably bad. Like, look at literally the last panel on the final story page. And tell me what is going on with Havoc. I think he's having a stroke. Hellions was a title that seemed like a bad idea at first, but ended up being one of the best books of the first act of the Krakoan era. Dark X-Men number one is a fun read that kind of scratches that same itch. Fingers crossed that it reaches the same highs that Hellions did. I'm giving this a buy it. The backup story, meh. The rest of it, light. Buy it. I didn't have quite as much fun with this as you did. I don't love Havoc's status quo. He's like glommed onto Madeline. I still don't totally buy it. And I just think they're doing him kind but of he's dirty. he's always been that way. Though. I don't get why Gambit is here. I I don't know. I mean, like, was it bad? No. Do I need M-Plate and friggin' Azazel on an X team? Absolutely not. I don't see any reason why some of these characters would be like, yep, I guess we're on the same team together now. Like, no, I, I'm just finding it hard to buy and hard to swallow. I love group of misfit X characters thrown together, have to work, whatever, but I just, I'm not buying this yet. It was fine. The backup story is terrible. I can't give this the, better the than backup a story. The art in the backup story yeah. is abominable. I can't give this better than a skim it right now. They're going to have to sell me on something with issue two or I'm done. I will say this. I think it's kind of weird that two characters that used to have their own home dimensions to call, you know, to call home, to rule, like Gam- like M-Plate and Azazel, would really give two shits about the mutant plight on right. Earth. Right. That, that's just- Or in America. Not even on Earth. Just is in America. Even a, is Azazel even a mutant? Or is he a demon? Let, can we make up our goddamn minds, please? I Maybe it's both. Ugh, I don't know. Barf. New comic book day, August 23rd. The X hits keep coming with Realm of X. Number one from Marvel. It is 32 pages for $3.99. This was written by Torin Gronbeck with art by Diogenes Neves and your letterer, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Here is your solicit, leaping straight from the astonishing events of this year's Hellfire Gala. The unlikely team of Magic, Mirage, Marrow, Dust, and Typhoid Mary find themselves stranded in Vanaheim. And what's even more confusing, the locals seem to believe that they hold the key to fulfilling a prophecy that can either raise the realm to riches or cause it to fall to ruin. With Magic's powers malfunctioning and a mysterious figure amassing power on the outskirts of the realm, 
these X-Men are going to have to band together if they want to stay alive long enough to find their way home. Gronbeck seems to be Marvel's go-to for all stories set in Thor's stomping ground that don't star Thor. And here, she's writing an all-female team of displaced X-Men. Apparently, they were all sent there when all the mutants walked through the Krakoan gates for the final time after the events of this year's Hellfire Gala. And Typhoid Mary, who seems to have a much better sense of humor than I remember. I don't know much about the mutant curse. Not to be confused with Curse with a K. I was a different character. But she seems not a mutant. Curse with a K, not a mutant. Yes. Different character. But she seems a little overpowered for me and perfect for a magic story that's complete with a prophecy and a mysterious witch whose identity you'll be able to guess with her very first appearance. I wanted to chuck my iPad across the room. <laughs> the comic looks fine. But again, this reads like more fall of X filler that probably won't affect anything outside of this miniseries. If you're a fan of the characters, then go for it. You might dig this. If you can get past the fable-esque narration, which kind of drove me nuts. And don't try and tell me you love Marrow because no one loves Marrow. I can't. I love Marrow. No, you do not. I can't get yes, this I do. any better than a skim it. Joe, she doesn't have marrow power. She has bone powers, but we can't call her boner because that's inappropriate. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Cyclops has two eyes, but we don't call him two eyes. Yeah, we call he, him Cyclops. He wears a thing with one big eye. All right. Oh, shut sense. up. His goggles could easily have two goggles Nobody instead loves, of one long thing. Nobody loves marrow. You're de- Wolverine's not a Wolverine either, you jerk. Okay. Hey, um, I hated this. Hated. With like a capital H. I... I didn't even think I there was don't, enough to hate. I thought it was just I, kind of meh. Oh, there was plenty to hate. Uh, I don't agree that this book looks fine. I thought the art was terrible. The panel layouts make no sense whatsoever. They are so atrociously bad. And I thought maybe, oh, well, they're in this kind of mysterious place and they don't really know what's going on. Maybe it's on purpose. No, I don't think so. I thought the dialogue was stilted and weird, and I get that Torn Gronbeck is, you know, from Norway or whatever. But like, I, like obviously, no shade. But I thought this, the dialogue was rough. Trying to tell this fable, like make it sound like a, a, a fantasy story. Yeah, you know, and, like. and I look and I get it. Like the plot is solid. Like sure, okay. There's these particular X characters that ended up in Vanaheim when the portals went screwy. Fine, and the prophecy, this whatever, whatever. Okay, I get it. Fine. The execution of this did not work on any level for me. This is a leave it. I really strongly disliked it. That's fair. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I normally do not, like, I don't have such a visceral reaction. But, like, when I looked at this book and I got about 10 pages in, the revelation of the villain, I joke, but I actually did get so angry. (laughs) But other than that, when I got about 10 pages into the book and... It, the art just kept getting more and more incomprehensible. I was like, this, this is a failure. I will say they do this really weird shading effect that I just didn't get at all, where it's like, this wall's checkerboard. I'm like, oh, is that supposed to be shading? Like, what, what is that? <laughs> it's really I, strange. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It, for me, it was, it was mostly the panel layouts where there would be these like huge gaps in between panels, but then they would fill in, but then uh, Nevis would fill in the gutters with like some black, but not fill the space with black. Like it's a weird shape. But no, no, stop it. It doesn't make any sense. It's no yuck. Well, I hope she's not a listener. 
Sorry. Look, I'm very sorry. I took it easy. <laughs> I what? Well, that's not our job. I, our job is not to take it easy. I, our job is to be honest. I don't disagree. And I honestly did not care for this comic book. Our next comic also features unlikable characters, but this time they're unlikable on purpose. It's the Schlub number one from Image Comics. It's written by Ryan Segman and Kenny Porter. With art by Tyrell Cannon, colors by Mike Spicer, letters and design by John J. Hill. It's 24 pages for $3.99. That's odd. That's a weird, like, reduction in pages. Right? How often do you see 24 pages? I mean, no ads, obviously, because it's an image. So, whatever. Here's your solicit. Series premiere! Thanks, image. Vanish artist and writer Ryan Stegman and Superboy writer Kenny Porter team up with Beef Bros artist Tyrell Cannon. I remember Beef Bros. Beef Bros. For a new action comedy series featuring colors by Mike Spicer. You might remember Mike Spicer from Murder Falcon. That dude is really good. He is really good. And lettering and design by John J. Hill. Failing dentist Roger Dalton blames the world for his problems until... He is body swapped with the world's greatest superhero. Can Roger save Earth and finally prove to his family he's not a loser? Or are we all doomed? Probably, yeah, definitely probably the second. Yeah. Probably the second one. The schlub is basically Freaky Friday, but with two shitty dudes, one a failed dentist and one a god walking the earth. The story by Stegman and Porter hits all the beats you'd expect it to, so there are very few surprises to be found. Blah, 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 Roger's life sucks, yada, 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 mysterious alien artifact, oops, zap, you get it. The script swings at a lot of jokes, but it rarely, but not never, connects. Mm. Not never. Mm. Tyrell can come on. <laughs> Tyrell Cannon's ultra cartoony art works well for the goofy story and its 90s image inspired designs fit right in with the Kids Love Chains Company motto. By the way, this is a Kids Love Chains comic. And there's an inexplicable final page where it looks like the hero's symbol is printed on the back of a jean jacket. So, you know, that's fun. <laughs> it serves literally no purpose, but I thought it was kind of funny. The Schlub number one is a comic with a predictable premise that isn't quite as funny as it thinks it is. But I thought that there was still enough of a germ of an idea to like here that I'll at least check out the second issue. For that reason, I'm giving it a skim it. Okay, you talked me into some things during your review. Um, I did not like this when I read it. And it was guilty of being unfunny, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, no. You're right. Guilty of being unfunny. And if that's what you're going for in a script that is very predictable, very paint by numbers, then there's nothing there. There's nothing. I I think the art was pretty good and it was kind of fun. And I like the designs as well. And I think that's what's steering me away from saying this is a complete leave it. But there's not a lot of great stuff going on here, to be perfectly honest. If you can't be funny, what are we doing? Especially with something this simple, you know? Right. And this is another one like The Call where I will need a second issue to finally make up my mind. I'm not reading a second issue. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'll let you know how it I'm is. I'm not going to give it a leave it because I do think the art is pretty good and I see him working. But this is a very low skimmit for me. It was unfunny enough to be boring and I wanted it to be over while I was reading. 
I'm giving it a leave it. I'm giving it a leave it. I can't fight it. I mean, it's fine. Stick to your guns, man. Yeah, there was like, nothing. If you didn't like it, you didn't like it. There was nothing here for me. And I like both these creators and I see him working, but if it's going to be funny, we got to make it funny, guys. This was not funny. I don't think any of the it, jokes landed. Didn't do anything it, for it, me. It wasn't, it wasn't very funny. It wasn't funny. It's true. You're right. good news is hilarity abounds in my next review of Star Trek Strange New Worlds The Scorpius Run number one from IDW is 32 pages for $3.99 this is written by Mike Johnson and Ryan Parrott cover A was by Angel Hernandez it's beautiful but cover B is by Mike Alred and it whips so much ass I love it (laughs) what about covers C through J Matt you didn't list all of those Uh, they were just like here's the blank cover here's the one without the you know stuff written on it whatever the interior arts by Angel Hernandez colors by Nick Filardi with letters by just plain old Clayton Cowles what is that he can't be VC when he's other places or he's too cool to be VC well no I mean I I think that like he's an independent contractor, right? Like you sometimes you do stuff on the side. You sometimes you help your, out on your sometimes gang, you help your Joe. buddy build a shelf. Do you really think they gave him those gang colors and those tattoos so he could go over to IDW and just be him? No. I hate to break it to you, but most professional jobs don't involve gang rights. When the victorious cockblock guys find out about this, there's gonna be hell to pay. All right. Here's well, your solicit. I guess that you're really blowing up a spot then, aren't you? Here's your solicit. Come back to Strange New Worlds with a never-before-seen adventure of the hit Paramount Plus show. Set course with Captain Pike and the crew of the USS Enterprise to the Scorpius Constellation as they venture into the unknown. The Enterprise crew learn what it truly means to traverse through the strange and unfamiliar when they lose contact with Starfleet and find themselves trapped in unexplored space. This is my first foray into the strange new world corner of IDW Star Trek comics, but it's only the second mini, so catching up shouldn't be too bad. The good news is, like- all- I also don't really think you need to. Yeah. Well, you don't need you know. to. No, I'm just saying. I mean, you can if you want to, but- Like almost all Trek comics I've read from IDW, the high quality continues here. Is it too early? I have to ask to call Hernandez my favorite Star Trek artist, because that guy kicks ass- He's so good at this. I mean, I think you might be forgetting some past Star Trek. Artists, I mean, maybe, but, but the art. I'm here, not saying it's not very good looking. The art perfectly captures the deck of the Enterprise with its detail and his crew likenesses are amazing without looking overly photo referenced. Filardi's colors really bring the story to life with a palette that just glows and Cowell's pop art onomatopoeia brings it all together. For some reason, all the solicits I saw have Kristen Beyer as the other writer, but it's definitely Ryan Parrott of Boom's Power Rangers and Image's Rogue Sun fame riding alongside the Admiral of Trek Comics, Mike Johnson, and the two deliver a fantastic story that made me want to watch more of this wonderful show. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was good. I, uh, it The art is very good. The story is is fine. Like, I mean... Fine. That sounds reductive. Like it's a good story, but it's not, you know, it's not best of both worlds. Picard gets kidnapped by the board kind of stakes. Well, no, but I did like the twist. It's like the cannonball run. It's the cannonball run of a Star Trek. I mean, sure. But Uh, there's also a fun twist they threw in where I went, Oh, sure. Sure. Right. Gnarly. I dig that. And uh, (laughs) no, I, I, yes, I, I did think that that was fun. Um, and I'll tell you this, uh, if you think that illustrated car chases are hard, 
wait until you uh, get to draw illustrated starship races. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a buy it. It's good. It's fun. And it scratches the itch if you missed the show. It's season finale. The show was last week. We are two weeks ago. We've all been missing it. This is a good way to get your fix. Matt, sometimes one finale just isn't going to cut it. And you got a finale a second time. <laughs> Our second finale is the Captain America finale. Uh, la- labeled number one, I'm sure. I didn't look, but I'm sure it's there. It is. It's from Marvel Comics. <laughs> it is written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with art by Carmen Carnero. Colors by Nolan Woodard. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. It's 40 pages for $4.99. And here's your solicit. Cap's final stand. Captain America takes his final stand. (laughs) We just said that. (laughs) Against the outer circle. Using information gathered from friends on the inside, Steve Rogers sets his sights on releasing the world from the outer circle's influence and ending the century game for good. The exclu- exclusive, the explosive conclusion to the groundbreaking story of Sentinel of Liberty is here, and you won't want to miss it. Sorry, symbol of truth. I guess you don't get your own finale. <laughs> Following the conclusion of Captain America Cold War, Marvel gives us a second conclusion that I didn't really need. Captain America Sentinel of Liberty was a favorite here in the Ziggurat with its tale of the century game. A decades-long conspiracy tied to the creation of Captain America and every major event of the past 100 years. It was a really intriguing plot that dug deep into Cap's history and affected the lives of his closest friends and allies. But then Marvel forced a crossover that dovetailed that title with its companion, Symbol of Truth, which resulted in a story that was far less than the sum of its parts. That's not really this issue's problem, as Kelly and Lansing do a fine job wrapping up their own mega arc. And yet it is their problem because I found that I really couldn't care less. There's also a very confusing scene where Bucky's cat kills a member of the outer circle. And I can't stop thinking about it. (laughs) The cat kills the guy, right? I think that's slashes him in the face, slashes him in the face kicks him in the butt. I mean, I'm looking at the, it again and now. And then the guy is dead. I'm looking at it again now and like I guess they're implying that he was surprised and he fell and died because if not, yeah, the cat just killed but him. But fe- like fell from fell on fell from a height? No. I, Did well, he fall on something? He, was he crushed? No. He fell and there was a crunch. There's a giant crunch. That's all I can tell you. There, <laughs> the cat the cat kicks him. There's a crunch sound and the man is dead. It, That's that's all I know. That is all that is clear. I will say yeah. that. <laughs> so I guess Bucky's cat has, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I really wish that the Cold War crossover hadn't taken all of the momentum of Sentinel of Liberty away. At best, it was a mediocre event that means nothing in the long run. And at worst, it's a story that soured my enjoyment of the rest of this series, which I was loving. And that's not even to mention Marvel's marketing of the next era of Cap stories months before this one ended. As much as I enjoyed this era of Captain America up to that point, Cold War ruined it and this finale just felt kind of hollow to me. An unnecessary ending to a story that I had already put out of my mind months ago. 
Really lovely art by Carmen Carnero, though. I'm giving it a skim it because, I mean, if you skipped Cold War, you're going to want to read this issue. Are you? If you skip- I mean, yeah, because no. it's the finale of the Century War thing. But you don't you don't need to read it. If you skipped Cold War, whatever. Just be done. Well, be- but this is the end of the story that was running up until Cold War. I nothing guess. that happened in Cold Nothing that happened in Cold War is really reflected here except for Sharon became the destroyer. Okay, here's my problem. More than a quarter of this and maybe less than half is stuff that we already saw happen in other comic books. Right? I mean, like that whole end fight, they they basically do it again here. And then we get well, the fight extra. was the fight was with the white wolf. It, the the fight we saw before was with the white wolf, and now this is with you know I mean, the other whatever. This fake, just, nameless, faceless schlubs. This felt like agreed. This just felt like rehashing of the end of a bad crossover that was marketed as a big thing, but don't worry. We're just waiting until the next thing starts. I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if it's marketing. I legit love these writers. The art is very good. There is no reason I can think of that I needed to read this comic. I felt fine just being done. I'm giving this a leave it. I just, and Uh, and I think it's the fault of a lot of things. I think it's the fault of the marketing, of the story, the way that it was crushed. And like you said, it's just like, we're just rehashing this again, but from a slightly different angle and like, uh, Oh, here's a, the other big fight. Like who cares? Who cares? So just follow with me here. If you were reading captain America, Sentinel of Liberty I, and you I saw the, and you saw the crossover coming and you did not want to read the crossover and you just skipped the crossover. You would still want to read this issue to read the conclusion, the resolution of the outer circle story. But that's just it. I didn't because the crossover spoiled me so much on the other story that I that's just went, you though. And that's why this is a skim it. No, but because that's not somebody else out there might not feel the same way. That's not just me because like the Bucky stuff that's going on in here, I already learned what was behind it and didn't buy it and didn't feel good about it. And I just didn't need more of this. I didn't need it at all. It looks perfectly good, but there's no reason to spend money on this comic book. It's a leave okay. it from me. But, but I, okay, then that's fine. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it, but a skim it to me means I didn't really need this, but you might like it. So it's a skim it. There's enough about this particular comic that somebody might like it. The cat It's thing? not a bad comic book. You're good with the cat thing? <laughs> that's not my main problem. The cat, the cat <laughs> thing is weird. I get it. But that's like three panels in a, in a 50 page comic. So. Everybody loves a killer cat, but let's talk about a killer bird for a minute here with Penguin, number one, from DC. It's 32 pages, three ninety nine. It's written by Tom King, with cover and art by Raphael De La Torre, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, and letters by Clayton. Don't call him VC's cows. He's not VC here either. What's going on? I think he defected. I think he's out, Joe. <laughs> Maybe it's not him. <laughs> a different Clayton Cowles? Oh, it still That's says Clayton Cowles. Also oh, it's still a Clayton. comic letter. <laughs> it's it's still Clayton Cowles. Yeah, but he didn't. He doesn't oh, go oh, by oh, DC sorry. here. I don't know what's going on. I don't well, know the way the way the script it it just I see letters by Clayton. Don't call him feces. Yeah, I, I think he walked. Sorry. I think he walked, bro. Here's your solicit. Revenge is for the birds. After retiring to Metropolis, following his quote unquote 
death, Oswald Cobblepot finds himself forced back into the unpredictable and violent Gotham City underworld as a pawn of the United States intelligence community. Gotham's criminal element has been evolving since he was last in the city with his bastard with his bastard twin children ruling the Iceberg Lounge, and what of the man he framed for his death? Batman! Is the Penguin walking into a death sentence? From award-winning and best-selling writer Tom King, who worked on Batman and The Human Target, and artist Raphael De La Torre, who worked on Daredevil, comes a bloody, hard-boiled tale of redemption and revenge. Tom King steps away from his black label corner to tell an incontinuity penguin. The Tom King averse. The Tom King averse. Yes. About Oswald Cobblepot out to get his revenge. But of course there's a twist. King pulls a Tarantino showing how the story ends in the first couple of pages and then flashes back to the story of Penguin's return. As usual, his pacing is masterful and paired with Taylor Torrey's thin line, expressive art, it looks like we're going to get an investigation into what makes the Penguin the survivor that he is and what he's willing to do to protect what is his. Mayolo's color palette is muted for the most part, while those watching the Penguin refuse to believe that he's actually, quote unquote, retired, but it explodes in bright reds with the short, violent moments of the story. While De La Torre's Penguin looks a little closer to Colin Farrell's portrayal of the character in the most recent Batman movie, it doesn't come off as like a forced change, but rather a legitimate new chapter of Oswald Cobblepot's life. Well, I actually thought that that was pretty hilarious because yeah. the artist that drew his death uh, made him look like Danny DeVito from Batman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> While last week's Penguin Zero wasn't bad, Chip Zdarsky's take on the Cobblepot's character and the tone of the comic was so different from this one and <laughs> what King is building. Yeah. I am mm. much more excited to see where this goes. And like found myself scratching my head after I read that zero issue went, what is <laughs> robot like lawyers and shit. What are we doing here? I'm giving this a huge buy it though. This issue was fantastic. Not enough robot lawyers. Leave it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. I like, I have no idea how you, bridge the gap between penguin zero and penguin number one it makes no sense yeah but it also doesn't have to like it doesn't matter i suppose um uh this is gritty man it's 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 very grim and it's barely a superhero comic like batman's in it i guess technically but well, only kind of the title and, is the penguin so there you go and i understand like i get but right it's but it's like you could excise all of the superhero elements out of this book and it would probably still read pretty much the same. Yeah. And um, that's a good thing. That's a compliment. I, I really liked this. You know, Tom King is hit and miss with me, especially when he's working within the confines of the DC universe. Um, this follows directly from his miniseries Killing Time, which I missed. And this made me want to go back and read that because uh, a character in this book was introduced in that miniseries. And that miniseries was great. I, yes, I heard nothing but good things about it. I just, I, I missed it. This was fantastic. Uh, I, I kind of, I'm a, I have a, a soft spot for stories where the villain just wants to go away. Like, just let him go away. Right? But, you, but they won't let him. But I don't. They won't let him. I, like, I, I love stories like that. I where the villain working. just wants to go away and make a life for himself, but they won't 
let it. And maybe that's what's happening. Or maybe he is just waiting for that thing that he knows so. is going to snap him right back. And he's no, just I don't think he, I don't it. think, I don't think that this, I don't think that he wanted anything that happened in this book. I think they pushed him and pushed him and pushed him until he went wah and grabbed an umbrella. I don't know, man. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that he was happy with the life that he made in Metropolis and uh, they stole it from him. Don't disagree. Uh, regardless, regardless of your read on it, yeah, like it's fantastic. It is to buy it. Have no fear. The penguin's here. <laughs> I beg your pardon, sir, but Matt, if you can tell me what Swart is the sunshine, then for summers after means I'll give you five bucks right now. I'll tell you what, Samen Sigfinson is my favorite rapper, so I know exactly what it means. <laughs> <laughs> this can only mean that we are talking about the immortal Thor number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Martin Cocolo, colors by Matthew Wilson. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. I think it's safe to say that more comics this week were lettered by VC than not. Scandal. As far as THN did, is concerned. Did Sabino come in and take Cowell's position? No, there is no scandal. Oh, oh there's a scandal. Cover here, here. By, uh, cover here by Alex Ross. It's 56 pages for $5.99. Son of a bitch, Sabino. <laughs> He's a real scab, that Sabino. Here's your solicit. Al Ewing, Martin Kokolo, and Alex Ross give the God of Thunder the immortal treatment. In Norse myths, they call him Thunderer. Viewer, has he been called, and Horidi. The gods know him as Asgard's king, keeper of Mjolnir, hero of the tales. When injustice grips the earth and ancient powers bring down the sky, he fights for those who cannot. And when the tale is done, we will know what that cost him. This is the story of the immortal Thor. Plus a bonus page written by Jonathan Hickman. Who are the gods? It would be a mistake going into the immortal Thor, expecting it to have the same vibe as the body horror nightmare that was the immortal Hulk. Where I think it will be similar is in how Al Ewing uses completely unexpected methods to change the way we look at an iconic character. In this issue, the air is thick with big, crazy, Norse-jogging-like viewer and Floridi. As Ewing reestablishes a swart, as Ewing reestablishes a baseline for Thor and his supporting cast. He's in that dashing Kirby costume again. The Warriors 3, scratch that, make it 4. Sif and Loki are all here. It's everything you want in a Thor comic. But then... There are dark secrets hiding under the surface as Loki gives Asgard a gift. And there's an edge to Thor that maybe wasn't there before as he convinces a group of frost giants to run with nothing but his normal speaking voice. And we start to learn the horrible lesson that there's something far greater to fear than gods. The art by Martin Kokolo and Matt Wilson simply... Oh, I see what I remember now. The art by Martin Kokolo and Matt Wilson simply appears to be really well executed superhero art at first. But then they deliver some truly jaw dropping pages as the story's real threat starts to emerge. None of Thor's body parts get cut off and put into jars in the immortal Thor number one. But Ewing and Kokolo promise a similar deconstruction of not only Thor, but of myth itself in the months to come. 
this gets a huge buy it. It's awesome. Yeah, Al Ewing. Now, it, I loved the the last run of Thor. It kind of fell off towards the end by no one's fault. It was what it was. Never read know? it. But the magic has been missing for a while. You know, like the big crazy Asgardian magic. And Ewing was like, no problem. Here it is. <laughs> like brought it right back. This had it all. The art was incredible. Thor's in his old costume. The lightning is back. He's commanding storms. He's messing with ice giants. Like, this is Thor, baby. If you like Thor, I got a comic book for you. Huge buy it from me. This was fantastic. Al Ewing, man. That dude, I don't think he struck out yet. Other than it's that weird so fr- shit that so he did good. with the Masked Rider, which just never really worked. <laughs> other, I mean, you Other know. than that. You can find links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the one issue that had just enough dark secrets, X-Men, or spaces for us to name it the best. Which one of these comics are you putting in the THN permanent collection, Matthew Bomb? Ugh, it's either Thor or Penguin, and it's really hard for me to choose. I think I'm going to go... Penguin? I think I'm going with the Penguin, because I think it's way harder in my opinion, to write a comic book like The Penguin, starring The Penguin, with very little Batman and no superheroes, and make it as compelling as it was. I think writing Thor and but doing it this way... was your favorite comic of the week? Like, you always do this. You get these little rules like, oh, it's harder to do this, or we already get enough of that. But that's, that's not the point of this exercise. I think I got to give it the to The Penguin. The exercise what was the your The exercise favorite. was I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed The Penguin and how much harder I think it is to pull that off than it is to write a kick-ass Thor book. I'm giving it to The Penguin. I'm doing it. Try okay, and Okay, well, me. that's... That's dumb. Um, Going out with a bang, it is Thor. The Immortal Thor, 100%. There were other great books that I read this week. Penguin was certainly one of them. The Immortal Thor knocked my socks off. I I thought it was so good. And And even I am guilty of thinking a certain way when... You tell me that Al Ewing is following up The Immortal Hulk with a book called The Immortal Thor. Sure, sure. And of course it wasn't going to be what we were all thinking. It's going to be something completely different. And it's off to such a great start. And boy, oh boy, this is going to be the book that makes Martin Kokolo a star. Yeah, he's definitely on the map now. No question. I mean, the dude's insane. He's so good. Joe, now that Thor isn't wearing his cosmic Rooney costume anymore, this is the perfect chance for us to bulk up and dress as cosmic Thor for Halloween. We've got just over two months, and I've got a line on a shitload of mutant growth hormone. So let's head up to our Sanctum Sanctorum and get those pants off so I can give you your first injection. But while I wipe your bottom with a tiny little alcohol toilet, why don't you distract yourself from the little pinch that's coming by telling the listeners about your must-read pick for next week, NCBD Wednesday, August 30th. I believe it's pronounced toilet. Toilet. I think it's toilet. It's not an alcohol toilet. <laughs> Man, I wish I had an alcohol toilet. Let me tell you. Oh, boy, oh, boy. That sounds like my kind of party. That would save so much time. Uh, gross. 
My pick for next week is The Devil's Cut, one shot from Distillery. It's written and drawn by Various. It's 72 beefy boy pages for $9.99. Here is your solicit. The Devil's Cut is your introduction to Distillery, a new publisher redefining creator-owned comics. In the aging process, the whiskey that evaporates is called The Angel's Share. But the most potent spirits are captured in the wood, The Devil's Cut. This is The Devil's Cut, unfiltered stories from the most fearless creators, offering a distinct taste of the quality to come. 72 oversized pages printed on premium paper, featuring a flight of high-proof work. Wow, the, the metaphors are heavy. Keep From our founding creators, including Scott Snyder, James Tinian IV, Tula Lote, Mirka Andolfo, Jock, Becky Cloonan, Brian Azzarello, Mark Bernard, and Elsa Charitier, Lee Garbett, Joelle Jones, Stephanie Phillips, Ram V, Jamie McKelvey, Junko Mizuno, and friends, including Francesco Fregavilla, Ariella Christentina, Eduardo Rizzo, Christian Ward, and more. They really just named all of them man i feel Edited sorry for and more though like you didn't get on that more. list <laughs> i mean there you know there, i don't hear i don't see a various anywhere there. in there uh edited by the legendary will dennis this kickoff issue will never be reprinted in this format again now what that means exactly time will tell we had a nice discussion with chip Mosier on our very own discord shout out to the discord and a reason for you to go join it if you haven't uh, we've had some laughs at distillery's expense, joking about their business model or not understanding their business model. Chip very wisely stepped in and say, hey, look, all the answers are forthcoming. Don't you sweat it. Trust me. It's all going to make sense. And you can't argue with this lineup of creators. And so this is the first taste of what devil, uh, what distillery has in store for good or for ill next week. We're going to see what they're all about. Yeah, we're going to find out. My pick for next week, it's a Batman crossover because I can't resist them. It's Batman, Catwoman, the Gotham War, Battle Lines, number one from DC, 48 pages. That title, where are the colons and the, and the you don't need hashes? It's too violent. You don't need them. <laughs> it's 48 pages for $5.99. This is written by Chip Zdarsky and Teeny Howard with art by Mike Hawthorne. Why did I, why did I do that? There we go. Here's your solicit. The Bat-Cat War starts here! Crime is down in Gotham City. Could that be a bad thing? A coordinated effort in Gotham has led to a reduction in violent crime, but at what cost? Villains scatter as their lives begin to crumble under a new regime, and Batman recovers from his epic battle through the multiverse and the horrors of night terrors. One name runs through his mind. One name at the heart of his new, safer Gotham. Catwoman! A conflict that's been brewing for well over a year finally hits the streets and it will fracture the Bat family as war erupts from best-selling writers Ship Zdarsky and Teeny Howard and artists Mike Hawthorne and Adriano Benedetto comes the opening shot in the Gotham War. This is the one we've been talking about. Catwoman's going to be your new kingpin of crime in Gotham and, uh, we're going to find out if she's actually bad or they're faking the whole thing. I don't know. I think we had a nerd. Well, I mean, this, apparently she must have been the kingpin of crime for a while now because this is like it's come to a head, right? Uh, well, crime, crime is down, I guess. I mean, sort of. I don't know. It happened kind of quick. Man, I don't know. <laughs> <It> Neither <laughs> one of us read Catwoman. It happened so, kind of uh, quick, you know. Yeah. Boy, I, I'm glad you're excited. I don't care about this at all. 
I don't. I'm more I excited don't. for this than Night Terrors. Jesus, anything else? <laughs> well, you're in luck. Night Terrors is over yep. next week. The THN trade of the week for August 30th is Avengers The Kang Dynasty. It's a trade paperback from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kurt Busiek with art by Alan Davis and Various. It's 408 pages for $39.99. Here's your solicit. Kang's ultimate triumph. The time-traveling warlord called Kang the Conqueror returns, and this time he plans to enslave all of Earth. The only thing standing in his way is its mightiest heroes. Time and time again, Kang has been a thorn in the Avengers' side. But now, the Conqueror has gathered all of his vast legions from multiple eras to conquer the present once and for all. Can an expanded roster of Avengers, including returning members and new recruits, wage worldwide war and hold back the colossal forces arrayed against them? Or will they face defeat? and subjugation beneath Kang's merciless boot. Kurt Busiek, one of the most celebrated Avengers writers of all time, crafts an epic clash between the heroes and their most dangerous foe. This collects Avengers Volume 3 from 1998, issues 41 through 55, and material from Avengers Annual 2001. So, Joe, you might be asking, why did you pick this trade? I'm asking that. I, you know, I've never read this. Never read it. Okay, well... Uh, this is Kurt Busiek's final story okay. on his Avengers run, and it is a mammoth epic. I mean, look at it. It's 14 issues plus an annual. Sure. And so it's a it's a long one, man. It is kind of the definitive Kang story of uh, the first definitive Kang story of the modern age. Okay. Of the of the late 90s, early 2000s, like modern age, because if you think about it, the last big Kang story before this one is the one where they reveal that Tony Stark had secretly been brainwashed and he died and came back as a teenager. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, that's, so, that's yeah, true. this is Kurt Busiek kind of redeeming Kang as a character and showing why he is one of the Avengers' most fearsome enemies. And Alan Davis, Kieran Dwyer on art, like, it's, it's a gorgeous storyline. Yeah. We might have to slack issues this one, like right before Loki season two comes out or something. So I'm never, into it. I've never I'm, had it. I'm all for it if you want to do it. Okay. You want to feel our merciless boot in your butt? Then you nerds better tell us what you're reading next week. Let us know over at our Discord and be sure to put these comics in your pull list, damn it, so you can read along with us. Now, you won't be able to put Joe's comic on your pull list because I don't think it's out in print next week. It's only in digital. No, I think it's out in print. Oh, I think I thought it was digital first, then print. Like. No, it's on. It's printed on premium paper. It was oh. in this list. Okay, good. good. I, I think it's good. only available. It's only available digitally for that first week, and oh, then there's right. that marketplace. And thing. then we get to fight for it. In, and in then the yeah, it's Thunderdome. Of their marketplace. Uh, uh, that's the, the yes. again. That's the part that Chip swears will make sense <laughs> as soon as but, they yeah, figure no, this, it out. <laughs> this comes out in print. This comes out in print. <laughs> Before we shut this episode down, you're in luck, nerd. Yes, you, because you get a sneak peek of the amazing content that you get access to when you support THN on Patreon for as little as $1 per month. I mean, you're not as lucky as the people that do support us on Patreon yeah, for a dollar no, a month could, because they get the whole thing. You could pay to be that. That's the thing. But yeah, <laughs> if you if you want to be a little bit more lucky, 
kick us a dollar. <laughs> I figured when you were old enough, I'd talk to you about comic books. Tell you to stay away from the garbage that pushes that junk. I'm so high. Nothing can hurt me. No. Welcome to your THN Extra, the Comic Pushers edition, where we are back. And this time, we're slinging some highly, highly addictive X product from the 90s and uh, early 2000s. 2006, that's still early, right? The 90s and, and beyond, sure. 90s and beyond, yes. About a about a 14-year gap, let's say. Fair enough. One of our favorite Discord junkies came in looking for some X books. His name is Mark Stern. Here's what he had to say. All right. I'm firmly on board with stating I'm a fan of the Claremont era. Excessive accents and thought balloons and all. And then I followed along until around 93 when I stopped collecting altogether. So I have this massive... Em- he became a hockey dork. Is that what it was? He became. He got yes, too busy he and became a hockey dork? stopped collecting comics and got heavy into hockey. Okay. And, and I was, so. You can do both. I was into hockey and comics at the time. And yet he <laughs> did not. I had a whole conversation with him last night about how the dude never watched Batman the Animated Series, Matt. Really? That is crazy. Let's, let's not get into it. That's a whole separate segment. You just let hockey ruin everything, huh? So what he wants to know... I have this massive empty gap from between 1993 and 2006 when I came back into the fold. So what are the essential reads for the X books in that gap? Luckily, not a whole lot. Only 14 years worth of comics like we discussed. So really easy to catch up on. (laughs) Only 14 years worth of comics. And really, by X-Men standards, that's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Yeah. That's not even the length of a Claremont run. Now- I started thinking about this and going, oh man, there's a lot of great stuff in the 90s that I would totally recommend that I loved. But early 2000s X-Men seemed really sparse until I dug into it a little bit and went, no, there's still a lot of like really good fun stuff that was going on there. So mm, I mean, there was some it, garbage. Don't get me something, wrong. Something uh, like 2001, there's a sea change. And, and that's something that we kind of almost look at that as a completely separate entity from what I would call the garden variety X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll get into that when we get to that era. So let, how you want to do this? You want to tackle, we've got some, we got some runs to talk about and we've got some individual story arcs and issues to talk about. So let's start with the runs in the nineties first let's, and I'll take you, I'll follow your lead. So one of my favorite X-Men runs of all time is Scott Lobdell's run. It was him and Joe Mataria was on most of it. There was a few of the, like Roger Cruz is on some of it. I loved his X stuff too. <laughs> Joe, Joe Mad took a lot of breaks. But yeah, he did. He was on the book. Uh, basically, he was the primary penciler from issue 312 through issue 350. Lobdell started writing the book regularly with issue 286. So... Yeah, off and on, Joe Mad was a co- pretty constant presence. Uh, like you said, Roger Cruz. Other yeah. People, there's a, a great Lee Weeks issue with uh, Emma Frost in, in Iceman's body. Ooh, you know, there's all kinds of I crazy I forgot about stuff. that one. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where we learned that Iceman is so much more powerful than he ever expected. Like, that was the issue that was like, oh, maybe Iceman's not a joke. Look that one up while I'm looking at some other stuff here. But, like... This is also the crew that was working on, we're going to talk about it in a minute here, events like Age of Apocalypse that everybody freaked out about and we absolutely loved, tied into both. But one of the issues that I remembered that I that jumped out instantly on Kenny X-Men 340, that was when Bobby's dad got beaten up by anti-mutant protesters. They had stuck Bobby and Sam Cannonball. They were like undercover 
working for Graydon Creed, who was running, I think, to be a senator at the time, not like president. President El Presidente. Was he running for president? Okay. I believe he was already a senator. And Graydon Creed found out that they were embedded. And so when this guy, who was Bobby's dad, started speaking out about mutant rights and stuff, he's like, oh, that's Iceman's dad. And he sent thugs to go beat the hell out of him. It was super gnarly. And oh, man. Uh, so that's well into the run. Uh, the issue I was talking about is Uncanny X-Men number 314. So you missed a lot of stuff. You missed a lot of stuff, Mark. Um, something happened in 1991, right? X-Men number one launched. He would have still been around then. He said 93 is when he when he took his break. I understand. But like, so X-Men number one launched and it was the biggest thing in the history of comic books. Sure. And then um, a counter... Point to that was Uncanny X Men 380, I believe, which is the first issue uh, drawn by Wills Portacio. Uh, Wills Portacio is the regular artist. It's basically the X Men number one of Uncanny, right? right it's right. it's the gold team. It's like okay, now we're the gold team. Let's do gold team shit. And in that issue, Trevor Fitzroy, who is a time traveling villain from the future, from Bishop's time, uh, comes back in time to the present day. And attacks the Hellfire Club, uh, which was actually like, you know, the Hellfire Club at the time. You know, people in lingerie and weird suits oh, yeah. doing rich, evil, evil rich people shit. Sex pervert shit. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 714. And next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns, forcing us to review eight back-issue comics based on a theme. And this time, it's about DC box office failure. We will be reading eight comics about the Blue Beetle, which, if you're paying attention, the movie's actually very well rated. I haven't seen it yet, but audience score good. is good. It's got good ratings, and it made just about $24 million last week. In its opening weekend. <laughs> However, it did finally dethrone Barbie as the number one movie in America. Only by $3 million and Barbie in its fifth week. And I mean, we'll take it where we can get it, Matt. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but we're going to read about Blue Beetle. It'll be fun. If you need more THN in the meantime, join us for our THN cover to cover gang hang on Saturdays, 11 o'clock central. I will be there this week. I promise. Check out, I don't believe it. Check out our Discord for details on that. Joe Patrick, what else can these nerds do at our Discord? You can get in on the action before we even air the show on the THN Discord. We've got an episode discussion thread for just that purpose. Or maybe you want to answer the question of the week. And this one is a visual question. So pay attention. This comes courtesy of Mark Stern, a.k.a. Cuckoo Studio on the Discord. What is the most dog-eared, well-loved comic book or graphic novel, trade, etc., that you own? If you can, take a picture of it, share it in the question of the week thread on Discord. There's already been some fun pics. I gotta dig mine out. I gotta dig, I, and I, I think I know exactly where it is. But oh like, if you're if you're not posting because you can't find the thing to take a picture, don't let that stop you. Yeah, just, just write the title. Up, Whatever. Just put up a picture of it, and yeah, put up any picture of it, and and talk about it, and like where it came from, what it means to you, etc. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming, like Mark did. You can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com/discord. You can post about any of our segments on our server, or you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. 
and we'll put you on the Ding Dang Show. Yeah, send us some MP3s, you guys, about anything. I'm trying to build up, like, this listener mail thing and see if we can get that going. Send us some MP3s, will you? If you're new to this show and it's making you barf into your alcohol toilet, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron and butt attack punisher girl got a man super fan Jim Jimbo Heavey. I dare I say, we wouldn't even make this show if he wasn't a patron, all right? If you That's like true. what you hear every week, it's easy to be a pervert, just like Jim. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. I'll have you know, but attack Punisher Girl. Say no fan service book. She has agency, and she literally whips ass with her ass. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Terry Funk, R.I.P., the man just died today at age 79 one of my favorite wrestlers of all time if you don't know terry funk do exactly what his old tag team partner cactus jack aka mick foley another one of the greatest extreme wrestlers of all time said to do and look up terry funk match you will not believe what this man put himself through. The guy was one of the best extreme wrestlers of all time. To be perfectly fair, I cannot believe he lived until 79. R.A.P. Terry Funk. One of the best there ever was. Sad day for wrestling nerds. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just swart that ass. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Swarting off. Sword attack Punisher girl got a bot got a man. There you go. Sword attack Punisher.